Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, uh, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast with me, Mike Collier, brought to you by Latvian Public Media. Uh, it's two weeks since the last podcast. I'd like to say that the weather had uh, improved greatly and had really warmed up. It had slightly. We've got a bit of sun in Riga today, um, but we've got more snow forecast for the weekend, a holiday weekend, I understand. I have another guest in the pod with me, but I'm just going to keep him in reserve for a moment because I wanted to say hello to a listener, believe Believe it or not, we do have at least one. He's contacted us uh, from Germany. His name was Birger Fensel. I hope you got your name right, Birger. And he basically said he enjoyed the podcast. It had stimulated his uh, interest in Latvia. He'd been here before and he was planning on coming here again. So thank you for your kind words, Birger. And uh, when you do make it over to Latvia next time, get in touch and we'll bring you into the pod. We could uh, we could turn this full circle and have uh, Birger talking about the podcast to himself when he goes home. Now, speaking of things technological, because in a way that would be quite a, a po- you know, the podcast is quite a recent technological innovation. I have Latvia's godfather of tech, I call him that. He's a local legend, a legend in his own lunchtime, journalist, provocateur occasionally, a commentator, a guy who uh, knows more about the ins and outs of every aspect of uh, Latvia than most people, Yuris Kaja. Welcome to the pod, Yuris. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Your introduction was a, a bit uh, with the uh, with the sort of the the brightness turned up. Uh, <laughs> uh, if we can talk in television terms on radio, but uh, yes, I did cover uh, tech here for Diana's uh, business and uh, later on the um, Latvian news agency Letta. Uh, and I think that there is there is there's been quite a lot to cover here. We. Uh, have uh, a very dynamic startup scene here in Riga. We we have uh, hosted the Tech Chill conferences now for several years, which always introduce something new. For which see previous podcasts. We had uh, Lever, the organizer of uh, Tech Chill, in here doing a podcast as well. So, and uh, we have Tech Hub, and we have the Mill, and we actually have. Uh, I think a whole three uh, different uh, kind of co-working spaces where people, all the techies can get together and share ideas and look over each other's shoulders and maybe steal ideas from each other, who knows. But um, I mean, Latvia is uh, a place of innovation, not only in software, but I see that we have the Erodium device, which is uh, allows people to sort of fly over a big uh, roaring uh, fan. Uh, and put on shows. Uh, that's been uh, used in, I think, the, one of the Olympic Games openings recently. And I see on Facebook, and I've forgotten the name of the company, but now there's someone who's making a synthesizer here. And of course, people are probably familiar with the, uh, the Baltic Blue microphones, which are some of the best studio mics in the world for recording music, and some of the world's leading uh, jazz uh, and vocal artists use them. They are now, I think, relocated to California because they apparently had a big, long uh, internal fight within that company where, uh, well, you know... Probably you best have, not to go into the yeah. details. <laughs> no, I won't go into the details. It's simply to say, if you have three Latvians, you'll have five political parties within half an hour. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that happens. But the technology and the quality of manufacturing of these microphones is Latvian. But it does seem, there's a little bit of a paradox in that uh, it's sort of almost, well... 
is the necessary thing to talk about at the moment is, you know, t tech moving up the value tree and so on. But it still remains the fact that, you know, Latvia's largest industries are still kind of at the other end of the scale. So, you know, timber and timber processing and food production. I mean, there is a role for tech in those industries in making, you know, in improving efficiency, getting delivery times down and things like that. But uh, it sometimes seems that, that you have these two sort of polar opposites, uh, kind well, of very yeah, yeah, different yes, ways yes, of doing yes business. Yes, no. I mean, I, and I, I think if you want to run a manufacturing industry, even an industry that sort of saws logs into boards and have a very precise quality control, you have to have very good IT and real-time sensors and monitoring of the whole process. I mean, if you have uh, delivered a, a load of plywood and, and, and some of the panels are, are, are not you know, not holding together, whatever. If you have the right IT system, you can literally go back second by second in the manufacturing process and say, okay, this is where this is where we had um, an error, or better yet, you can have a, a kind of a predictive and analytics device on your manufacturing line, which says, "Look, if you don't fix this, uh, you know, sometime next week is going to start throwing out defective goods." Mm. So, you know, even those old sort of uh, mill type industries, you know, with us saws and, and machinery, uh, are very dependent on tech. And now you're out in the forest and you're harvesting lumber. Most of the uh, modern harvesting equipment is wirelessly linked to to the company that's doing it and and, and is keeping a, a running tally of what they've taken in and and, and where where they're taking it. So uh, and the location of uh, of equipment, you know, which is to prevent people from. Going so in off a way, on these, their own, these kind little... of old-fashioned industries can be a spur <clears throat> oh, yes. to development of... Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Or they, they need this development. They mm. need this because if you're going to sell to, to a, uh, a Western market and you want to prove that, that the origin of all of your timber is in line with some of these green standards, that you're not like you know, ravaging the forest, that you're only taking the trees that are mature enough to be used for building materials or whatever, then uh, you have to have that audit track and you have that electronic audit track. You can go right back to you know, the point on the GPS where the tree was taken if somebody says, oh, well, you, you must have you know, clean cut the whole forest there. You say, mm -hmm. no, we didn't. You know, compare the GPS, take a satellite shot of this, and you can see that that the forest has been thin, but it hasn't been. You know, we haven't turned this thing into the Gobi Desert. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to run by you as well because uh, there was a press release came out a couple of weeks ago about the arrival of 5G communications in Latvia. I think at the University of Latvia. Yeah, well, uh, let's talk about the arrival of the public relations <laughs> tactics at the Latvian mobile telephone, which is a very reputable and, uh, and, and good um, uh, mobile services provider. But the fact is that 5G uh, is a, uh, a concept and uh, it is not really uh, uh, a, an operational technology yet. What they did set up at the University of Latvia was a base station that can be adapted very quickly for 5G, that you just sort of plug and play whatever is still missing in the 5G, uh, sort of the whole suite of things that you have to put together. Then again, we, we, we have to be sure that what, what is 5G for? 5G is is very, very high speed mobile uh, data uh, transmission. Um, and it's way beyond the needs of any household, and it's way beyond the needs of you know carrying voice or even carrying high quality video. 
it is a system that will probably be used for um, the so-called Internet of Things, where you have thousands and thousands of sensors scattered all around, all over the place. And, uh, and some of these sensors uh, in, a, say, the University of Latvia, and it's no coincidence, you have a scientific laboratories where, where sensors are putting out you know, millions of data points every second or every half second or whatever it is. And then you need 5G in order to be able to wirelessly gather all this stuff. And then, of course, you need a, in the back office, you have to have a, a, a very sophisticated and fast uh, IT system to analyze the data. But in order to gather it, 5G may be necessary. And in order to run a smart city, you may have to have 5G. And speaking of smart cities as well, I mean, uh, Riga sometimes likes to style itself as the Wi-Fi capital of, uh, of Europe. And while you can take that claim with a bit of a pinch of salt sometimes, I, I've got to admit, I was in London a few weeks ago and it drove me insane. There were plenty of Wi-Fi points, but in order to get on them, you usually had to give them some of your personal details. You had to get a password sent to you and then type that in. And, you know, you got the feeling that, okay, they're collecting loads of data here. I'm going to get loads of spam and junk mail for... You know, until kingdom come, whereas in Latvia, you know, actually you're quite shocked if anything like that happens. You expect to have a really uh, widely available and free, non-intrusive, or as far as you know, anyway, non-intrusive uh, Wi-Fi. And it seems to me that that is a real thing. You know, it's not just an illusion. No, I, I guess it is. I, I mean, I use Wi-Fi. I have, uh, you know, I'm, I've spent a lot of time sort of working out of home where I have uh, an optical Internet connection connected to a Wi-Fi router and uh, I use Wi-Fi there, but you know, when I'm out and about, and I'm in, in in government institutions or even you know cafes and coffee shops, yeah, everybody has Wi-Fi. Some places mm. you have to ask them for a password, but uh, they're not gonna you know they're not gonna ask me to yeah, sign you know, up give my details and yeah. you know whatever, sign up and describe what I've been eating and whatever. whatever. Yeah, and that's actually something which, when you've been here a little while, it kind of you forget about it to an extent because it's expected, and you only then really appreciate it when you go somewhere else where you don't get that. And I mean, yeah, you do. Yeah, and, and Wi-Fi is, is is sort of. I mean, if you go into a, a restaurant at night, you sort of expect them to have the lights on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you go, you will go walk in and say, uh, you know, we're gonna. I, I'm here to have you know have dinner with somebody, and, and please turn on the lights. Well, you know? some of the bars I've been to with you, Yuris, they didn't really. Turn well, on. Yeah, maybe one forty watt bulb. Some uh, of the bars that the uh, journalistic community in Latvia goes to had better not be described uh, here in front of children. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and one other thing, kind of on the practical aspect of uh, tech and using technology in Latvia is always the cost. Because, I mean, I see you, you're always like upgrading your equipment or you're swapping this for that. But it seems that maybe uh, we still pay a little bit over the odds compared to some markets. <sighs> well, yeah, I guess so. Because, you know, the, the, the upgrades that I do or have done uh, are usually associated with traveling to the U.S., I mean, if I'm going to buy a new iPad, which I really don't need at the moment, and a new MacBook, which I may or may not need, I'll do it in the United States because it, it's, it, it, it costs less. Although, actually, the difference is not that big because of the, uh, the exchange rate of the euro. Mm -hmm. And then again, when I talk about buying in the U.S., I'm talking about buying in the state of New Hampshire since I have family living in the Boston area. It's a... It's about a 30-minute drive across the state border, and there there is no sales tax. Okay, I, so there's quite a variation yeah, regionally there's a variation there as well. of price okay. in the U.S., you know. And, and I even bought my latest iPhone, had it shipped to my son, at, and uh, who's a student at NYU. Okay. 
uh, in New York, but paying for that plus paying the New York state tax was still a bit cheaper than buying a phone here in Latvia, which was not even available mm. at the time. I mean, do you see that changing? I mean, maybe this could sort of retail prices could be included in this whole digital market that's being yeah, pushed. Yeah, well, what we're heading for, I think, is that there is, you know, due to the exchange rate of the euro sliding a bit and companies realizing that the, the kind of the higher end customers, people who travel, people who have a bit more money than the than the average uh, Latvian consumer, uh, that, that you those are the ones that you're going to sell this stuff to. And so you might as well try to try to adjust the price to be a little bit closer to the kind of markets, the, the bigger and, and cheaper markets. But undoubtedly, the bigger and cheaper markets are cheaper because they have the volume. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how, you're not going to sell. It's, it's easy to imagine selling a million iPhones in Germany but not in Latvia. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll be back uh, talking about one of the things you can use those iPhones for um, in a few minutes, which is social media, kind of the state of uh, Latvian social media exchanges uh, after this brief word from, well, a voice, not our sponsor, but a pleasant voice. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier, and this is brought to you by Latvia Serbia Diski Media, Latvian Public Media. My guest in the pod today, the spring pod, the pre-Easter pod, is uh, Yuris Kaja. And uh, Yuris, are you ready for Easter? Uh, we've got it coming up this weekend. Uh, well, I'm ready for a three-day weekend, I guess. I, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm not. Uh uh, and I may, may may decorate some eggs, but I'm not... A, That's the main uh, thing. I think yeah. we need to remember what Easter's all about. Yeah. And it is about collecting onion skins, and colouring your eggs. Yes, the whole uh, Latvian thing. And, and preferably doing some swinging as well. Yeah. Um, I may go out and see if they've set up the usual swing. Yeah, this this is a kind of weird thing that should be explained to listeners in countries outside of Latvia. That that that's that building a big kind of wooden swing, you know, then, then, uh, up on a on a stand... And swinging is one of the rituals of kind of fertility and welcoming in the spring. And, and this is the sort of the common thread of Easter, aside from the religious aspects that a lot of people in this country, of course, also take seriously, is that it is, it is a spring greeting ritual, mm. a spring holiday, welcoming the greenery, the buds, the, the flowers, the birds coming back, whatever. Yeah, yeah I, I used to live over in the Tornakalns district of, uh, of Riga, just opposite the park, and I always used to know that spring had arrived when I could hear the people swinging in the spring and singing while they were swinging. So they were singing and swinging, and I knew it was springing, and this happened okay, every year, yeah. so it was very, very... That, that, I've never seen that. <laughs> well, they'll but be over there again, so un- un- until the swing happens in Tornkalns at Arcadius one, Park, it hasn't happened. One wonders whether they've also made their first visit to the beer gardens that are starting there. <laughs> We're going to talk social media now. Yuris, you are a, well, could I say an avid user of social um, media? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have a, t- a Twitter account and I have a, uh, a Facebook account. Now, Facebook, I, I use to, to sort of have, initiate sort of serious discussions. I repost a lot of things from international media, such as The, the Economist, The New York Times, occasionally my own comments. And, and I get into some really heated discussions there. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. As do as I do on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, for some reason, the 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 particular 
sort of what, what the face of Twitter that I see is kind of l rather thickly laced with people who I would I would say are crypto Nazis, you know, <laughs> and some really crazy people. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they're they're not classic trolls. They do not appear to be you know paid trolls. They actually appear to be serious about what they're doing, which makes it even more you know. But are bizarre. they generally anonymous or well, some of them are anonymous. Are. I mean, they have made up names. Some of them. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of them called is Galmix Yorks, which is tasteful <laughs> joke. Yeah. Then there's another. He guy. looks like a penguin. I. I I, I've seen him. He's a penguin. Oh, yeah. Well, he is a penguin. And then there's there's another there's another person who actually seems to have a Latvian sounding name, uh, Eric something or rather Eric the Great. This is mm his -hmm. low tag. And then there's then there are a few other people, um, and they seem to be the ones who are always presenting the very much the very hard right. Ultra nationalist. Uh, let's uh, round up all the the Muslims type of uh, you know all. 25 but, of them in Latvia. <laughs> but isn't this just sort of blowing off steam? Because, I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I kind of suspect that you kind of enjoy getting into these uh, arguments with people to some extent. Well, I do. I mean, I enjoy to the sense that, 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 first of all, I think I can out-argue most of these people because I think I have, I have the facts at hand. I learned a little bit about argument and building arguments because I studied law in the U.S. And, law, and, and the legal process in the U.S. is adversarial and you are taught, mm -hmm. you are taught to make your case and to back it up and to and to be able to respond to most of the counter arguments that are, that are coming up so you know I told one of my opponents who is a kind of rabidly also sort of right wing not right wing but more more sort of a religiously conservative person that I had been taught to be a demagogue you know <laughs> and he's never he's never let me forget that but I jokingly meant you know because that's what you are taught to, to be in the American legal educational system you, you have to always get up and present the argument for the plaintiff, and then you're called on again half an hour later, and they ask you to present the argument for the defendant. You mm. have to be able to to understand how discussions and arguments develop. Yeah, so thesis, antithesis. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. I brought that. And also, I, I sincerely believe that, that one has to defend what I would call sort of liberal Western democracy, equal rights for everybody, the fact that uh, we should not uh, stigmatize uh, entire groups of people because of what one representative has done. I mean, you know, based on what a certain individual who was killing 16-year-old girls in England, I mean, they should be running all the Latvians out of there, out of Latvia, never mind a few of the other rather spectacular cases of, of crimes and frauds committed by Baltic people in, in the UK. But nobody's asking for that, at least. You know. Isn't part of the problem, you think, that, uh, in a, I mean, you said adversarial, particularly with Twitter, you have 140 characters, yeah, it's, it's and it's, it becomes an exercise in everyone wanting the last word. Could be. You know, because it, it's, it's, and also, what, how it's different from, say, what we're doing now, talking to each other, is you have time on social media to think about your reply, you know, draft it a few times, pause about whether you should press the tweet button or not, and then eventually mm. send it. And then, you know, that process is repeated. Rather than having to be spontaneous, having to look someone in the eye, you know, it's much easier to do it from behind a screen rather than face to face. Oh, yeah, the anonymity. Uh, I mean, an the anonymity factor probably is the reason that, that there's this other form of social media which is the comments that you get on news portals in mm -hmm. Latvia. And I made a, a, a comparison once. I was asked to talk about this for some reason or other because of my 
overblown reputation as somebody who knows the, the whole, you know, the whole IT. Why are you here today? You're social <laughs> media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I said that what comments on social media, on, on this form of social media news portals, really go back to the first half of the 19th century when in the UK and in Britain you had uh, the Bedlam Asylum, which was thrown open on Sundays. Well, they didn't do it then. They were well, thro- they were throwing it open more in the early 18th century. Well, whatever. When, when <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, may have the historical data wrong, but but there was a time when the entertainment. I mean, there was no television, and people couldn't afford maybe to go to the highfalutin theater. Lots so they gardens, went. Yeah. They went to the insane asylum to watch the antics of the mentally ill. You know, you had Napoleon there. You had you know you had various you know Caesar. Ramses, the Pharaoh, and everybody else, you know, all sorts of characters would show up and they, you know. I guess the difference is at least there they got charged sixpence for uh, entry. Yeah, yeah, and here now, and this is the same thing. This is the bedlam of the 21st century, in a sense, if you want to go in there. And it is, of course, where I don't think that that a lot of the people who are making these comments are are clinical cases of, you know, psychosis or something, but that they are venting some kind of psychological um, problem because they're anonymous. And a lot of them seem to be, I mean, if they've traced the uh, the IP addresses of some of these people who are you know, ranting about how Soros and the evil Jews are white, weird, wacko, you know, theories. They've traced them back to government institutions here. <laughs> right. You know, so these, like, these are like bureaucrats, you know, who... Who, who otherwise are are, are checking figures on, on the Latvian, my favorite fictitious ministry, the Latvian Ministry of Dog Welfare, <laughs> you know, and they're checking uh, checking these figures and they're bored and they're upset and they don't like, and they're fundamentally sort of, you know, somewhat provincial and conservative. And then they can, they can vent under a pseudonym about somebody who thinks that having mm. a, a pride march in Riga is a good thing. or But then presumably you know, that's only for their own benefit, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't actually read any comments these days. Um, You're losing a lot of <laughs> well, black humor, you know, <laughs> here. That, well, maybe I've, you know, walked through Bedlam enough times. Yeah, okay. need to well, go I back. walked through Bedlam. I mean, I was already walking through Bedlam preparing for this talk that I gave <laughs> a few years back. But, but actually, you, men- you mentioned government institutions, and we have, uh, we have a couple of... Uh, well, a few actually political figures who you seems to me use social media quite well. People like the foreign minister, Mr. Rinkevich. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, so there, even there the a... controversial mayor Ushakovs, mm-hmm. I think, is going to be an issue because he he does it so slickly, he does it so well, and he's on almost every day with some kind of video thing on on Facebook. Well, the yeah. most recent thing, which has gone international this uh, this week, if you haven't seen it already, I'm loath to kind of describe it to people because it just means millions more clicks, most likely, uh, <laughs> is uh, Mayor Ushakovs was uh, doing a sort of Q&A session online on his own personal YouTube channel when one of his cats walked in, walked up to the mug, which was somewhat suspiciously placed right in front of him, took a drink and exited stage left. I mean, that was was it. And the internet, as they say, broke. I mean, it seems sure. that people yeah. have never seen well, a cat take a drink from a mug before. Well, well this, is, this, is the, this is one of the bizarre things about social media. I mean, one of the things that's been going on with social media ever since they got, you know, more than just, you know, a million or two million users 
is that people realize that this is where the attention is. This is where the eyes are. And therefore, let's try to, you know, and, and this happening in YouTube, you have to watch an ad in order to watch some, some of the channels and so forth and so on. And people try to monetize it. And of course, if I get a share of somebody viewing something I put up on YouTube, I might be happy about that too. But the thing is that the really big attractors never, I mean, they're so spontaneous and they're so weird that nobody can commercialize that. Mm. You know, I mean. Do you think the cat was spontaneous? I think it was. I mean, I don't know, but it, it looked pretty spontaneous. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're giving um, the benefit of the doubt. But, on but that certainly, one. I mean, what everyone thinks of, of Neil Sushikov's, uh, who's a very controversial mayor of Riga, he even has like I don't know, like last count, five, six, seven people running against him. They, they've got a really big chance of winning <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the next election, which is in June. That he is a slick and professional and attractive user of social media. Whatever you think of his politics or the fact that he's got to deal with Putin's party or that you don't like him because he is, quote unquote, Russian, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, no, he certainly does manage to, to do that. But what I wanted to kind of get onto was kind of the danger, working as a journalist, the danger that we're taking so much of our so-called news these days from what people are saying on social media that I think there's a danger that it starts to replace press conferences, starts to replace doorsteps. People say, well, I put, I did a tweet about it, reports on that. And again, it's they've had time to consider things, to put something down, which is very precise, rather than you kind of getting in their face and saying, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, well, yeah, that that eliminates the the element of, you know, that you can surprise someone, you doorstep somebody and say, you know, why is this going on? You know, when are you going to fill in the potholes that make up, you know, 50% of the backwoods roads in Latvia and all that stuff? Uh, it's only the potholes that give you traction, actually, at this yeah. time of year. <laughs> yeah, right. Everything's filled with water. But <laughs> so, so what? What do you have to? Uh, that gives them a chance to say, well, you know, we've just filled up twenty-five potholes yesterday. We're going to fill up fifty tomorrow. You know, do the math. We'll have filled every pothole on Earth by the end of May. You know, <laughs> um, th that's true. On the other hand, uh, it, it is yet another source of getting the sentiment of people. Uh, I remember way even before you know social media was a big thing, but when there were comments on certain blogs that I was able to I was able to ascertain facts for a news story about a power outage, a weird little power outage where things just sort of shut off for like two seconds. And my thought as, as an IT writer was that this has definitely done bad things to some IT systems, not necessarily all, but some that were not properly secured. So um, I asked around and the official word was, oh, well, we don't think anything serious happened as a result of this. And then I asked on the blog, another person's blog, hey, you know, this was a kind of an IT guy that wrote about IT issues mainly. You know, what happened the other night? You know, and somebody said, oh, yeah, this was actually a pretty big disaster for us. <laughs> I was called in the middle of the night and it took us hours to get the servers up and running. And this was in different places in Latvia. So I could put that in a story and mm. say, yes, Latvenergo said that it's little glitch with, you know, power going down in half the country for two seconds. Uh, had no serious effects other than blinking the lights in, you know, 100,000 yeah. apartments, whatever happened. But but in fact, you know, there are reports on social media or there are reports on, you know, blog comments that that, that it did cause some damage to uh, to IT operations in various places. Okay, so, well, that's a nice positive way to, yeah. uh, to, to, to finish things on. Thank you very much for joining me in the pod today, Yuris. It's been a pleasure as ever. Thank you for having ever. me. 
and uh, we'll be back with another Minutes from Latvia in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, until then, happy Easter, however you celebrate it, and uh, we'll see you soon. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steimans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.